Welcome to the New York City Hospitality Alliance podcast, the voice of New York City hospitality. Harlem is iconic. It's known all over the world as the mecca for African-American people, culture, music. And my employees are like my family members. I mean, we've been there over 15 years now, and this is how they support their families. So to feel that we may have to cut hours, we may have to let people go, it's heart-wrenching to me. And some of these people have been with me since we opened. It's foremost about them. And then it's about me as, as an entrepreneur. However, as an entrepreneur, I'd have to spend approximately $14,000 per employee per year more. This podcast is supported by members of the New York City Hospitality Alliance. Make sure to follow us on social media. Both Twitter and Instagram is at the NYC Alliance. That's at the NYC Alliance. You can find us on Facebook and LinkedIn at New York City Hospitality Alliance. Welcome to the New York City Hospitality Alliance podcast. I am your host, Andrew Ridgey, and today I am with the one, the only, Melba Wilson of Melba's Restaurant in Harlem. Hello, Melba. Hello, Andrew. I am so excited to be here with you today. Well, I'm thrilled to have you. So Melba is an incredible chef, incredible restaurateur. She is a cookbook author of Melba's American Comfort, published by Simon & Schuster. And she is so many different things, including the newly elected president of the New York City Hospitality Alliance, and she is my dear friend, so we are thrilled to have you. What's going on in the world of Melba Wilson? There is so much happening right now. I am actually opening a new place up in Harlem. Yeah, tell me. Well, it's called Melba's Muscles. Because, you know, there's a lot of strength up in Harlem. <laughs> yes, and women, indeed. we have muscles too. But now, actually, it's a seafood spot. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Where I am selling muscles, um, which one of my dear friends is a fisherwoman oh. and owns an amazing seafood company in North Carolina called Shellum Seafood. And uh, I'll be getting my muscles from her, Anna. Well, I will definitely be there when you open. So let's talk a little bit about Melba. I mean, I know you, but maybe there's new things that I will learn as well. So tell me, so you have a family going back in the food service restaurant industry or just come from a long line of great cooks. Who are these great cooks? How'd you get into the industry? Let's hear it. Well, my grandmother was an amazing stay-at-home cook and one of probably one of the best cooks in our family, um, but also my Aunt Sylvia started Sylvia's Restaurant. And that's the iconic Sylvia's up in Harlem? The one and only Sylvia's Restaurant, the queen of soul food up in Harlem. My aunt started Sylvia's Restaurant in 1962. A great story. My aunt actually borrowed money from her mom to purchase what is now known as Sylvia's Restaurant. Back then it sat 12 seats and now it's over 350 seats. So Sylvia was definitely a huge inspiration for me to get into the food and beverage industry. So once you stepped away from being in the family business, but continued in the restaurant industry, where'd you go? Where'd you work? What did you do? Well, I had amazing opportunities with Drew Nearparent and Robert De Niro, and also uh, partnered up for a while with the late but great Artie Cutler at what is now known as Virgil's. 
I also worked with Michael LaMonaco at Windows on the World every Sunday, where I produced a weekly gospel brunch, champagne gospel brunch, might I add, up until we all know that uh, September 11th date. Sure. So let's talk about this. You know, there's so much discussion about equity in the workplace and, you know, diversity in the food service industry and being an African-American female chef and restaurateur. Explain that. What's your experience been, you know, up to date? And what do you think's changing in the world right now that's impacting others who may follow in your footsteps? Well, when I started in the industry in 1987, there were definitely not a lot of females in the industry, not at all in back of the house. So now let's fast forward to 2019. I am super duper excited because I feel like women are, we're really taking our place in the food and beverage industry. I mean, let's keep it real. Most of the male chefs learned how to cook from who? From their moms or their grandmothers. Um, But I think that people saw the food and beverage industry as an industry that was tough and rough and pretty much thought that men would dominate. And I'm happy to say that we as women can hold our own in the front of the house as well as the back of the house. No, it's true. I mean, it's pretty incredible. I think about people like you and so many other amazing females that are in the industry. I mean, I even go back to my grandparents uh, who ran the bakery and cafe, and then my aunt took it over. And, you know, my grandfather was tough. but My grandmother, man, she was tough. I always think about her, like, you know, consolidating cookie trays and, like, you know, yelling at the other people, keeping everyone in line, and then my aunt running it. So, um, you know, it's no doubt that women can be incredible business owners, operators, and I think now seeing people like you and other trailblazers in the industry, it gives people really the opportunity to say, you know what, this may be a male or has been a male-dominated industry, but I think it's really changing, and it's really changing quick, and it's definitely for the betterment of the um, industry as a whole. So when we're talking about the restaurant industry, there's a lot of moving pieces. When Melba Wilson wakes up in the morning and she goes, I have a million catering events. I have my Melba's restaurant I need to watch over. Now I'm opening this new Muscles restaurant. What's on your brain when you wake up? The first thing, well, I wake up every morning anywhere between 4.30 and 5 o'clock. You're not a baker, though. I'm not. Well, I, well, I do bake, but I'm not a an official baker, but I do feel that the early bird makes the waffle. So. <laughs> oh, that's even C. <laughs> and um, I love quiet time, Andrew. Mm-hmm. So when I wake up at four thirty, five o'clock, everything in the city is pretty much quiet. I get more accomplished between 5 and 9 than most people do between 9 and 5. So that's my me time. That's the time when I can meditate, I can pray, look at my day, and schedule out what I have to do for today, tomorrow, and the following days. So I need that time to focus and to be like a horse with blinders. So, I don't look to the left. So what are the issues? The, oh, there's so many issues in in Your issue. day-to-day. You wake oh. up and it's like you're constantly putting out fires. Or you need to address this. Or you need to address that. What's taking most of your time these days? Where's your um, concentration focus? Most of my issues probably have to deal with staffing. Staffing is a big deal. You know, who's coming in, who's not coming in, who's calling out sick? Do we need someone new? Finding the right person is really, really important. Who is the right person? What are those qualities? Great question. Well, the right person for me isn't always the person that has the most experience. The right person is a person that genuinely cares about people. 
There's so many things I can teach you. I can teach you how to open up a bottle of wine. I can teach you how to fry chicken. I can teach you how to set a table. What I cannot teach you is how to generally love people. You know, I hear that all the time when you speak with restaurateurs, especially with a lot of the types of jobs. Um, there's a lot of things to learn, but they are skills that you can learn on the job. So I repeatedly hear, you know, find me someone who has the right mentality, who can work hard, who can show up on time, which is critically important in the restaurant industry, because if someone doesn't show up on time, you let, let the whole team down, basically, because totally. it's a team environment between it's the front of the sport. house and, yeah, and, and the back of the house. Um, and workforce challenges have been huge, and you hear it all the time that there's a shortage of line cooks. That's the big job I always hear people are uh, you know, looking to recruit employees for. But where are your employees coming from? Are there services you use? Do they come from your neighborhood? Are they coming from Brooklyn? Uh, what's the deal? Where are they from? How do you find them? Well, being born, bred, and buttered in the village of Harlem, I really try to recruit as many people from my community as possible. And, um, you know, there are a little bit over half a million people in Harlem right now. So it's a really cool pool. But I also know that Harlem is changing. So gentrification is important. Inclusiveness is important. You know, looking to see, looking to... Um, really hire people that look like my client base. And my client base is extremely diverse. But first and foremost, they must love people. That's the key component. And like you said, um, you know, my grandmother used to say, Melba, if you're on time, then you're late. (laughs) So I don't look for a person that comes in on time. I look for people that come in early because it shows me, tells me a lot about their character as well as their work ethic. That's a good point. Um, I love how you say... Melba Wilson, born, bred, and buttered in the village of Harlem. So let's talk about the village of Harlem. You mentioned gentrification. Um, Harlem has such a rich history. One of the things that I love about Harlem and people from Harlem, it just kind of like oozes out of them. You meet them and it's like, Harlem, you know? It's like when you're at some place and someone's emceeing and they're like, is Harlem in the house? And like the room explodes. So... What is your perception growing up in the neighborhood, staying in the neighborhood, seeing all these changes? Is the gentrification a bad thing? Is it a good thing? Is there mixed reviews? How do you feel about it? I think it's a bit of both, Andrew. Um, As a business owner, I can definitely tell you that my revenue has truly grown from the influx of people that we have in the community. However, I do feel that it's important to maintain the character the flair, the charm that has brought people to Harlem. And I feel that with the rents being too darn high right about Mm -hmm. now, it's very difficult to maintain those mom and pop shops that have been there way before Harlem was viewed as a hot spot, you know, the hot spot that it's viewed as now. So I think in keeping with the integrity, the flavor, and the feeling of community that we have in Harlem, it's important to keep staples within our community. And, and that's being that's been extremely difficult to do right now. And the people that are moving into the community, do you feel that they have, and I know you can't speak on behalf of everyone, but generally speaking, do you feel that the people moving into the neighborhood are working hard to try to keep that tradition, keep that authenticity, or are they kind of coming into the neighborhood and trying to recreate a new Harlem in their own vision? For the most part, I feel that the majority of the people that come into our community 
And I say our because now that they're there, you're all a part of our community. So we share in this community together. I think that the majority of the folks there do want to keep Harlem the way that it is. However, I'm sure you're aware, Last just last year, we had people try to change the name of Harlem to Soha. Like, Harlem is iconic. It's known all over the world as the Mecca for African-American people, culture, music. So to try and change that to Soha, and I not, think not few, happening. Yeah, and I feel like a few people can come in and do something stupid and then, you know, it gets all the attention, but perhaps that's not how the majority of people are trying to um, to act. What about, what's, what's the impact of the changes in the restaurant industry, changes in demographics in your neighborhood, on your restaurant? I know with my family's bakery, we had talked about this, speaking with different restaurateurs, as neighborhoods change, as people's tastes evolve, as people's daily schedules change you know they want to grab something quick other times they may want to just sit and lounge and relax in the restaurant how have you had to adjust if at all your restaurant menu the type of service you offer well i'm super excited about the influx of restaurants that we have in harlem it just means that when i want to go out i don't have to leave my neighborhood um my slogan is eat up town you know thanks drew drew says eat downtown (laughs) So I say, eat uptown. Um, and to be able to have uh, the revenue circulate within our community is important. When we talk about true economic development and empowerment, that's important to make sure that the dollars circulate within the Harlem community at least eight times. And by eating uptown, shopping uptown, living uptown, and spending uptown, it, hel- it helps to ensure that that happens. So that's interesting. So you think the more restaurants that are moving into the neighborhood, is that helping your business? Is it, what is the saying, uh, all tides lift all ships? Is that true? Or is the influx of restaurants kind of diluting your business or some of the other long-existing restaurants? All of the new restaurants coming into Harlem is definitely helping my business. I, I feel that, you know, you build it, they will come. Perhaps there's someone who never heard of Melba's and they're eating at um, at one of the restaurants across the street from me. Then they'll say, oh, what's that restaurant across the street? And then they'll come up and they'll visit Melba's. So I definitely feel that we feed off of each other and that's important to me. I was just talking with Jason Luttrell, our producer, about opening restaurants and everything that goes into it. Um, your restaurant, Melba's. How did you get there? Did you get a big bank loan? Were you working at the restaurant? You took it over. What's your story? A big bank loan. Yeah, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I got to set it up because you never hear of big bank loans in our industry. A big bank loan to a restaurant. Nah, not going to happen. That definitely wasn't my story. My story was um, a lot more organic, Andrew. So my family's from the South. So I grew up with my dad going to work every day. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. She worked, but she didn't go out in the workforce. She worked at home. And so my dad would come home and give my mom his check every Friday. My mother would then put a couple of dollars under the mattress. Uh, bank. <laughs> exactly. And it was called uh, just-in-case money. You know, just in case m- my dad upset her and she wanted to. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know what the... She just called it her just-in-case money. Because I grew up watching that after I started working, that's what I started doing. 
I started banking under my mar- under my mattress, what I call First National Mattress Bank. <laughs> I like that even better than <laughs> So I was on a flight one day. Um, I was married. My son was about three or four years old. And the flight attendant said, put on your, in case of an emergency, put on your mask first and then tend to others. Now, of course, I'd heard this numerous times before, but on this date, it had a totally special meaning. Mm -hmm. I realized, Andrew, that I'd been taking care of everybody else. And that was an epiphany. That was my aha moment. Time to take care of yourself and follow your dream. Amen. I looked under my mattress and I started counting and counting and counting. And I'd saved up a little bit over $300,000. Wow. So talk about that. Opening a restaurant, becoming an entrepreneur, doing all these things are, are tough. What have you learned that you carry with you today? So when you're going through your tough times in the business, you say, I remember when this happened. I made it through. I'm going to make it through what's going on today. Well, I learned that this was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. (laughs) Bar none. Why? Totally. Um, Because you don't know what you don't know Mm. until you don't know it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, being in the industry so long, I thought I knew it all. But being an owner-operator totally different than working in a restaurant. One of the things that I've learned is that I'm more resilient than I give myself credit for. I've also learned that to reach out to my resources and to not be afraid to ask questions. Um, I've learned that the only crazy question is the one not asked. So now what I do is if I have a question, I will reach out to one of my Alliance members Um, people that have been doing this a lot longer than I have. Um, And that's important to me. And people are always willing to help. They are. Because sometimes people don't ask questions because they think they're going to get the brush off or they're going to sound stupid or look silly. So you say, forget it. If you have a question, ask it. I'll get on the phone with Doug Grable. You know, I'll call Sonali at the Hospitality Alliance. I've even called you. Um, But don't be afraid to ask questions. So let's talk about the Hospitality Alliance. You were elected president, our third president in the history of our organization, uh, at the new year. So why did you want this position? I felt that this was a time. I believe that everything happens, happens for a reason. And I think it was important for me as a woman of color, as a woman, and as a woman of color, to step forward. Um, I feel that I have a lot to give to this organization and to this industry that I'm extremely passionate about. And um, I think that when we lead, we need to lead by example. Absolutely. And I know the organization is about inclusive inclusiveness. And I thought that me stepping up to the forefront was a great opportunity to show that. So what are the issues? You know, coming into the role, you know that restaurateurs throughout the city have all of these different challenges, these concerns, these opportunities. So as president... What are some of the main issues that you want to be able to address? Well, as president, some of the main issues that I'm very, very interested in, first of all, is the possible elimination of the tip credit. That's a big deal. 
So now the tip credit allows restaurateurs in New York City to pay tipped employees $10 an hour if, when you add their tips, it equals or exceeds the full minimum wage of $15 an hour. But I imagine that many restaurants like yours, employees are making more than at least the minimum wage. $20, $25 an hour, somewhere around there. Wow. And what are you hearing from restaurateurs? Why are they concerned about losing the tip credit? Is it... Well, what I'm hearing from my employees, first of all, is the fact that why should I do the same job and earn less money? That's a huge issue. And my employees are like my family members. I mean, we've been there over 15 years now, and this is how they support their families. So to feel that we may have to cut hours, we may have to let people go, it's heart-wrenching to me. And some of these people have been with me since we opened So um, it's foremost about them, and then it's about me as as an entrepreneur. However, as an entrepreneur, I'd have to spend approximately $14,000 per employee per year more. Wow. Which means raising my prices. And I consciously keep my prices at a minimum. It's important for me to not just have the people that don't live in Harlem visit me, but to have people from my community um, be able to come and dine at Melba's. It's the That's value perception. And it also ties back to what we were saying before about how do you keep that authentic uh, Harlem alive, especially as the neighborhood changes and everything gets more expensive. You want to be able to have people that grew up and have lived in the neighborhood for years continue to come, eat, drink, enjoy themselves, and not feel like they can only go out and eat at Melba's or any restaurant when it's a very, very special occasion that they've saved up for. That's right. Um, so another big thing that a lot of restaurateurs have been focusing on because of the high cost of running a business is how do we generate additional revenue? So I know, obviously, you have the restaurant. You've talked a lot about the catering that you've been doing. What about delivery? Are you offering delivery? Are you using third-party services? Are they expensive? What's been your experience? Well, we're forced to use um, to do delivery, and we do use Seamless, Grubhub, and uh, Uber Eats. And Seamless and Grubhub, same company. Andrew, the rates are astronomical. I feel like they're my partner. And if they're my partner, then they should be on the liquor license. <laughs> I mean, like anybody who has over 10%, and we all know that they take way over 10%, in some cases, up to 30%, which is insane. Wow. That's um, more money than you may be making off ex- of a dish. Ex- exactly. Um, you know, because our profit margins are already slim, you know, anywhere between 8 to 11 12%. You know, people see a restaurant and they think, oh, my God, you're making so much money. They don't know that the profit margins in the restaurant industry are very, very slim. So to have to come in and give a company like Seamless or Uber Eats or Grubhub 30%, it's insane. And I think that that's something that we at the Alliance are working on right now. Yeah, because I can imagine that you need the revenue generated from the delivery to offset your operations. Um, So you can't just say, I'm not going to do delivery anymore. And I imagine these companies do direct a lot of delivery business to your restaurant and others. So it's kind of this very difficult situation where you need to use them. Yes. um, But they're charging so much. So it's another situation where you're just 
trying to figure out what to do as yeah. a restaurateur. I've heard that if a customer doesn't go directly to one of the delivery company's websites but goes directly to Melba's website, for instance, and orders through the widget, you pay a lower rate, or if they call directly, you pay a lower rate. Um, is that true? Is there anything that customers should know if they want to help support their local restaurant when they're ordering delivery? You know, that's something that I really have to look into. My management team, they handle that portion of the business. Um, but I tell you one thing, as soon as I get back to the restaurant, I'm definitely going to look into that. And that's one of the things that we do with the Hospitality Alliance. We're always having these different types of conversations. So when you, Melba, need advice or you're looking for a service or a product, how do you get access to it? How do you educate yourself? Because I imagine you're so busy, you don't have time to just go out and research everything. I don't have time to go out and research everything. And that's one of the reasons I joined the Hospitality Alliance in the first place. You guys are truly my one-stop shopping. I call it HH, Hospitality Helpline. Hello. (laughs) I love (laughs) it. Whenever I have a question, you guys are the first person that I call because you have everything at your fingertips. And if you don't, you know how to get it. As president of the Hospitality Alliance, one of the aspects of the role is working with the team to advocate on behalf of the industry. And tons of restaurateurs, when you speak with them, they feel like those in power and in the halls of government don't listen to what they were saying. They say they love small business, we need to support our local cafe, our local restaurant, but then often they're passing policies that make those very type of businesses even more challenging to run and run successfully in New York City. So in your role as president of the alliance, and even prior to that, talking with local elected officials, have they been responsive from you, uh, responsive to you? Um, Are they listening to you? Are they hearing what you're saying? And how do they react? You know, I think that um, as, as a member, first of all, and as a group, I think that when we collectively get together and speak to local officials, I think that's where the power is. I think the power is in uniting and having more than one voice. Of course, I can always pick up the phone and call Senator Benjamin or Inez Dickens or, you know, Gillibrand was just at the restaurant a few weeks ago. Um, But I think the power is in uniting, you know, instead of having one voice, having 3,000 voices. And I think that's what the Hospitality Alliance allows us to do. So when you're having these conversations with elected officials, they probably just come in to your restaurant to eat or drink. What are you talking about? You mentioned the tip credit. Are there other issues? Um, I know it always comes up getting access to capital. Not everyone has the CERTA mattress or the first mattress bank. (laughs) Well, the mattress money is gone right now. So yeah, I mean, it's it's always things from dealing with landlords to having um, access to employees, to the fact that we feel that we're we're being fined like in astronomical ways over the most minute things. Um, And I agree with you, small businesses, we actually are the um, foundation, not just of this city, but of this country. However, I feel like there's a point where, as a small business, I feel like the city in particular knows that if there's a fine, we don't have the time or the resources to hire an attorney to fight it. So oftentimes, we pay these fines. Let's get it out of our way. Let's just pay the fine. 
Um, but I think that also makes us susceptible to uh, being fined over and over again. And a lot of it, I personally think, is unfair. Yeah, one of the reforms that we've been pushing for that we think is extremely fair would be to allow cure periods and warnings for minor violations yes. that are not an imminent hazard to the health. So, you know, if a sign is improperly posted or you have a minor paperwork uh, technicality, that you provide a warning and a cure period. The inspector can say to Melba or any restaurateur, so listen, I found this violation. This is what the violation is. This is why it's a violation. And here's how to correct it. And then give you an appropriate amount of time to correct it and come back. And guess what? If the inspector comes back and you haven't fixed it, well, by all means, issue the violation. Totally. But we as a city need to determine how we want to regulate the small business community. Because it goes to really the soul of who we are and what we are as a city. Do we want to encourage businesses like Melba's and others that provide people opportunities that really add something special to our streetscape? Um, yeah, and, and, and Andrew, to that point, you know, when I'm driving down Columbus Avenue in the city, which had some of the best restaurants um, in Manhattan, and I see all of the vacant storefronts. That's appalling to me when I'm driving down Broadway. I mean, to see where, you know, Isabella's and all these amazing restaurants were for years, that's alarming. So that's a good point, the vacant storefronts. Let's talk about rent a little bit. And you mentioned the rents are going sky high in Harlem. In the restaurant industry, and particularly your businesses, which are more challenging to to manage? Is it the high rents or is it the labor costs? I imagine a combination of both, but is there one that you are more susceptible to? Six in one hand, a half a dozen in the other. Um, I definitely agree. The rents are too damn high. Excuse my verbiage for those of you who may be offended. But that's what it starts with. It starts with the rent. And so for someone like me who's looking to keep a price point somewhere between $14 and $28, it's almost impossible to do that. So then what happens is I lose my core audience. My core audience are the people that live in my neighborhood. Let's talk about your core audience. So there are tons of new technology platforms that hook up to your POS system and you can keep all of this guest data What does your customer like to eat? What do they like to drink? What type of wine? Where do they like to sit? When's their birthday? When's their anniversary? When are all of these special occasions? And I always say that technology is great if you utilize it properly. You can have all the data in the world, but if you don't use it properly, it's meaningless. And it can also make people a little bit stiff and robotic because it takes away the human touch, which is the essence of hospitality. So are you using any tech platforms to collect this data? Or what's in the hospitality magic at Melba's that makes your regulars keep coming back and makes people that come to the restaurant for the first time have an experience that will bring them back again and again? Well, you know, in our POS system, we definitely keep information on our employees, things that are special to them. We like to know where they like to sit. We have some guests that want to sit in the Hemingway room 
and then we have guests that want to sit in the new room. So it's little things like that, knowing that table four is where Mr. Smith likes to sit or knowing that table 13 is where Ms. Jones likes to sit with, with her family. Um, it's knowing that when Rob Johnson's girls come in, that they prefer, um, I don't care what day of the year it is, they like hot chocolate with whipped cream and two cherries on top, not <laughs> one. So... Um, you know, we do have access to that information and it is important to remember that there's a birthday coming up. So without the guests letting us know when they come back again this year, that their birthday was on March 26, you know, so we'll automatically send over a slice of cake and we'll come up and sing. Um, but it also, it's also a great way to keep our audience abreast of the different things that we're doing. So we do love the new technology, but I also agree with you. Being robotic is not who we are. When people come to a New York City restaurant, especially, I think it's about the experience. So how much of that experience or the ability to create that experience is in the mind and heart of Melba? I imagine... The restaurant is your baby. So when you're there, you're going to care for it and care for the people, both employees and guests, immensely. But when you walk out the door and you start opening your second restaurant and you are not there, how do you plan to ensure that hospitality, that human touch is still being given? Well, with our management team, we do have weekly meetings every Tuesday there's a meeting. And so that's what we talk about. We talk about the brand Melba and we talk about the flavor, the seasoning in the restaurant. And I mean, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate to have a management team who sort of thinks like I think, Mm. and they know that being in touch and being proactive is very important. You know, that's one of the things I say to my staff, relationships are important to me and being proactive. If we're proactive, we don't have to be reactive. I don't ever like to be reactive. So if there's a manager, you know, I imagine you walk into the restaurant, you're scoping the scene, seeing what's going on. What kind of actions do you want to see your manager taking as they're walking through the dining room? I want my managers, first of all, to touch every table. I think that's important um, to go over at least once and, and say, hello, how's everything? Can I get you anything? I think that's important. Um, and I think with our guests, just knowing that we care is also important. Um, in the restaurant, we seat 109 seats, so it's not extremely large. Um, but I think touching each table is important. So you, I mean, anyone who meets you just kind of falls in love. There's this woman, I forget where she's from, but she's world famous for giving hugs. Apparently she <laughs> holds the Guinness Book World Record for like hugging millions upon millions of people. I heard she was at the Javits Center here in New York City. She was at the and Met. there was like literally a line down the block of people waiting just to hug this woman. Yeah. I feel like you could give her a run for a competition. Uh-huh. And when people walk into the restaurant, you just hug and embrace them. And it's that hospitality that emanates off of you. Um, are you able to teach people that? Earlier in our conversation, you said you can teach people the hard skills, but it's that soft skill or soft skills that are so important. What do you tell people in your restaurant? How do you teach them to make people feel special the way that you make people feel special? Well, I don't think that it's something that I have to teach them. Um, We have some of the best, I mean, of course, I'm a little biased, but um, when I look at the restaurant today, 
I see the best team that I've ever had. You know, I have two amazing GMs. I have wonderful staff, wonderful service, amazing busboys on my back of the house. I love them all. So I think what we've managed to do is to hire people that have the same core values Mm -hmm. that I have. I think that's important. Um, They're representing me. They're representing the brand. And there's got to be those common denominators. So those are not things that I've taught them. I think those are that's something that's innately within them. So it really goes back to the hiring where it you does. can teach people the hard skills, but there's something that's innate in people that go into the hospitality industry or those that succeed that have that humanity or that craving to make people feel welcome yes. and have a nice experience. And it's about passion. So if people go to Melba's, as they should... What should they order? It's my first time going to Melba's. I say, Melba, what do I want to eat? What do you say? It's like me having 10 kids and you're asking me, <laughs> which, which one of my kids do I like the best, Andrew? Um, well, thanks to the Iron Chef Bobby Flay, we are world-renowned for our southern fried chicken mm. and eggnog waffles, which I just happened to beat him at on Throwdown. But, um, yeah, Bobby, I said it again. Uh. <laughs> but there's so many great things at Melba's. I'm a huge fan of everything on the menu. However, our spring rolls, which have collard greens, black-eyed peas, and rice. Oh, my God. What a Thai chili sauce. Divine. Also, um, I cannot go anywhere without people saying, girl, do you have any of those catfish strips in your purse? We no. had those <laughs> recently, and they are delicious. Collard greens. Oh, my God. With a little bit of pepper flakes and vinegar. Um, and my favorite, which is the smothered chicken. Yes, you do love the smothered chicken, especially with some grits on a, a, during brunch time. This is good. Mm, you're making me hungry. Andrew. I know. So, I, didn't, I didn't cook today. So. so what do you eat? So Okay, so what about what, are you, what do you eat when you go out to a restaurant? What do you crave and what um, do you love? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I love Japanese food. I love Thai food. Italian, I must have been in another life. Um, so I love food that's hearty and with great flavor. That's a big deal for me. So when you go into another restaurant, obviously you're going to eat the food, but what things do you look at? I mean, I always say that, especially with a restaurant manager, if I ever see a napkin on the floor... One of the most important things a restaurant owner or a manager can do, because it's important but also sets the tone, is are they picking up that napkin? You know, you listen to the music, you look at the lighting. What things does Melba look at to get ideas from at other restaurants? Um, Well, the first thing I look at when I enter a restaurant is how I'm greeted. That's important to me. To me, that sets the tone for how the evening is going to go. So that first interaction... Really, really important. Um, Of course, I look at the small things. If anything's on the floor, I look at the bartender. I look at the nails. You know, it's just the small things and how I'm I'm greeted. You know, I've been to to restaurants, Andrew, where the food may not have been the best, but the ambiance and they make you, the way that they make you feel is golden. Always hear that from people. It's so true. You can go to a restaurant and the food may be a little bit off, but if you have an incredible experience, you'll go back and give them another chance. But if you go, and even if the food's good and you're just 
treated like crap, you go, eh, I'm not really going to go back there and give them another chance. And it goes back to being a human business, a high-touch business, and that's how you can hopefully be successful is focusing on your people. And that's a smart hiring move, being able to teach people the hard skills but making sure that they come in with innate traits that make them sociable and hospitable. What is the future for Melba and the New York City Hospitality Alliance? What do you want to accomplish? Well, I'm super excited, again, to be the president of the New York City Hospitality Alliance. Um, Some of the things on the forefront for me with the alliance would be to bring in more members from outer boroughs and also to bring in um, more diverse members. It's important to bring in more female uh, restaurateurs. That's really important. And I want, you know, I want us to hit Staten Island. I want us to go to the boogie down Bronx, you know, Brooklyn, which I love. Um, I want us to get to the outer boroughs, mm-hmm. you know, how do you think that you relate to them? Like, why are you an ambassador that will generate new membership that will connect with people in the industry? Well, I think that a lot of us are small business owners, meaning we have one or two uh, restaurants. And I'd like to see more of these people become involved in the Hospitality Alliance. The resources, again, that the Hospitality Alliance offers are so vast. There's so many opportunities for us. And um, I don't think that, you know, I don't, I don't want us to work that much harder if we don't have to. Mm-hmm. It really is as easy as picking up the phone and calling the office and asking for information. I cannot tell you, I can't put a price tag on how valuable that has been to me. And I want other owners, operators to have access to the resources as well. That's one of the main things, access to information and to resources. That's great. So what about with the events? Um, You know, I know everyone's so busy and they're crazy. Is it important to you? Do you find it beneficial when you come out to one of our cocktail parties or our big award ceremony? Attending Alliance-operated events are amazing. First of all, they're fun, 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 fun. And it also gives me an opportunity to get outside of my restaurant and see what other owners and operators are doing. And many of these things are things that I've implemented into my own business that have made it extremely successful. So it's a great networking opportunity. It's a chance to meet other people in the industry and to fellowship. I need that. You know, I need that opportunity to pick brains, to hear, to see, to feel, and to touch what other people in my industry are doing. Got it. So opening the new restaurant, what are the, <laughs> for those that didn't see, because you're listening, <laughs> Melba just pointed a finger gun at her head <laughs> because it is a huge lift and makes you feel crazy or overwhelmed at times. So Some think I'm crazy. <laughs> well, a, a, a good, a good crazy. Jason, good, Jason said, I think you're crazy. Exactly. Well, it's a good, you know. He was singing the song. Crazy. He was singing the song. He didn't really mean <laughs> Well, apparently, if we want to have these great restaurants in New York, then we need to have enough crazy people That's that are right. going to continue to open and operate right. them. Um, but what are you focusing on? So you're opening up a new restaurant. Again, there's a lot of moving pieces. Um, where do you find your brain and your time going 
and focusing on the new restaurant? Is it the menu? Is it the design? Is it complying with the laws and regulations and the permits? Um, what gets you excited and gets you going? What gets me excited? Well, to answer your question, Andrew, is D, all of the above. But what gets me excited is to be able to bring something that's a little bit different into my community and to be able to employ people. Um, eating out these days is not just for special events. It's an opportunity to socialize. It's an opportunity to share. And we find that in a city like New York, people are dining out so many times. It's, it's not just once a week any, mm-hmm. any anymore. So in Harlem, where we have so many different people, it's a great um, it's a great chance to to just share over over an amazing meal, a great glass of wine, and uh, that's what I'm looking forward to doing at Melba's Excellent. on Linux. Melba's on Linux. All right, so Melba, as the president, you're no longer on the campaign trail. You're actually in the job. So what do you want to say to members of the hospitality alliance, potential members of the hospitality alliance, and anyone else who can help support the New York City Hospitality Alliance? I'd like to say, pick up the phone, call in, speak to someone at the Alliance, whether you're already a member for $365 a year, that's a dollar a day. You can pick up the phone and ask any question and have access to information and resources. Make the call. Andrew, why don't you tell them? what the magic number is. Can you believe we still have a phone number and I remember it? You don't remember any phone numbers these days, but this is an important one. It is 212-582-2506. 212-582-2506. Of course, you can email us. That is info at the nycalliance.org info at the nycalliance.org and yes we are on social media that means twitter and instagram at the nyc alliance you can dm us there and make sure that you subscribe to the new york city hospitality alliance podcast wherever you get your podcast You are incredible as always. We cannot wait to continue working to represent the city's hospitality industry with you at the helm. So Melba Wilson, born, bred, and buttered in Harlem, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And Andrew, I have a plate right here in my purse just for you. (laughs) (laughs) If you like the show, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The New York City Hospitality Alliance makes sure that the voice of restaurant and nightlife operators is heard in the halls of government. We deliver you information and education you need to comply and hopefully run a successful business here in New York. For links and a summary of the show, be sure to check out our show notes. A big thank you to all of our members. It's all of you that support this podcast. So if you love the show, you're in the industry, you're not yet a member, go to thenycalliance.org, click on the membership tab, find out what it's all about. Hope you join our community. I'm your host, Andrew Ridgey, and as always, a big thank you to our producer, Mr. Jason Latrell.